On the cover, our heroes appear to be cooking in a very fancy kitchen. The Baroness is carrying a large, heavy pot from which a mechanical tentacle is trying to escape. William is slicing an elaborate beef wellington with latticework pastry pentagrams on top. Piero is hunkered down and peering into an oven, in the reflection of which we can see their mask superimposed over their face. And Darren is tossing a pan full of leaves, grass, and moss over an open flame. Her normally pink cilia are tinted platinum blonde, and she is wearing a t-shirt emblazoned with Guy Fieri's face. The caption at the bottom reads, A quiet evening? Or the beginning of the end? Issue 3. Off the clock. Issue 3 starts really right where issue 2 left off. We have the group standing on top of this abandoned mall with the frozen kind of, at this point, almost technological statue of Dr. Bahat. And I want to just really quickly kind of go around and what are these characters doing? We'll start with Darren. Mm. Um, what is Darren at this point just kind of doing? What is her, what is her look? Uh, at this point, the building is brought, the one we were in is brought down. I I think I'm still looking at the rubble looking for the Baroness because I uh, brought down a building on her and I haven't seen her emerge just yet. Is that the case? Sure. She did kind of come up at the end of the last issue, but at this point we can assume that Darren hasn't seen that yet. So let's move over at that point to the Baroness then. What is the Baroness (laughs) in this first panel looking like? I would probably be looking at Dr. Bahad. If not, trying to get down to the street where the Kopi people were. Okay, so we'll, we'll just start with looking at Dr. Bahat, that's fine. Uh, and then Piro, so what are you up to? I believe I'm uh, I'm still holding the villain in the net, yes? Yes, yes. So you are you are holding Overclock at this point in a net. Yes. And I get, yeah, we never, we never said uh, his name. So you're still holding uh, Overclock in this giant net as the Kopi agents kind of enclose around. And William, what are you doing? Oh, I'm definitely uh, heading down to the ground to uh, look, get a better look at this overclock guy. Are you going back through the building, or are you just jumping off the roof? I'm going to jump. Full on, like, demon kind of oh, landing? No. Or? Oh, no, I'm not summoning it around me. I just kind of float down Mary Poppins style with one <laughs> demon, like, holding me by the arm. Okay. In your beautiful suit. Mm-hmm. So we'll, so we'll pick up there. Uh, as you come down to the ground, you notice that there are about six agents around. Uh, the one that stands out kind of immediately to you is a very tall, very built, like almost bodybuilder uh, looking kind of lady. She's got a braid down to her shoulders, uh, which she's got kind of tucked back at this point. And she is talking into a radio. Okay, well, uh, we need a immediate pickup. And I, and she, she looks over at William. Did you say not to touch this guy? Yeah, that'd be a really bad idea. Some kind of mind control thing? I don't even know. Oh, we are going to need full containment on this one. Uh, Thank you very much for that, by the way. You guys did an excellent job. And she looks up at the uh, building. Are the rest of your friends still up there? Probably. Somewhere. Great. My name is Olivia LaRange. I work for Kobe. I'm a psychologist. I need to talk to you guys. (sighs) Psychologist, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll we'll St- see if we can gather them up and stick around for you. Standard protocol with underage uh, super people like yourselves. Just a quick debriefing. Shouldn't take very long. Fine. Is William going to go back up, or is he... Uh, what's what's the plan? I can uh, 
head back up there and see where the other guys are at since they're keeping me away from Overclock. So right quick at this point, so for Darren, Piro, and the Baroness who are still on the roof, I know the Baroness was looking at um, Dr. Bahat. Are you doing anything in particular right there? I'm flicking tiny rocks at him to see what happens. Okay, that seems like you might be assessing a situation. That could be what I'm doing. You could describe I mean, this. You're trying thing. to figure something out. Uh, sure, go for it. Nate. Go ahead and check out that list and give me what you want to know. What here is the biggest threat? Probably, probably the building collapsing. It's pretty structurally unsound at this point. As you're kind of flicking rubble, you notice that there's a lot of like almost rock sliding happening. I see. You guys did a number on this corner of the building. Yes. What do we want to do about this guy? I don't want to touch him in case it's like contagious. I could possibly change his density so that he's a bit lighter and easier to be. We can just use a puff of air <laughs> and blow him in the direction we want him to go. I like that. Foolproof plan! <laughs> we've, we've seen you do this a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> I'm a one-trick pony. I, I am absolutely fine with you doing that in this case. <laughs> Where are you trying to move him? If there are six agents around, is there any vehicles or containment units oh, yeah, that we can yeah. like you, you can actually, him? You can, you can hear a helicopter incoming. It's pretty close. Oh, maybe that's not a good idea because the, el- the helicopter's force might blow him away. Can we? I was gonna say, oh, can we wait up. till overclock is out of the net and then have Piero move him down? I think that uh, we should find someone who is willing to receive this uh, <laughs> villain before we decide to just move him or release him from what he's in. Maybe a hospital is the best way to proceed. Can we get the Kopi people up to us so they can figure out what to do? So, oh, I guess the building's collapsing. So as you are kind of discussing this, uh, what to do with Bahat and like how best to move him without potentially touching him, the Clocktopus attacked the university, which was literally right next door. This helicopter is here. So at this point, you see what a full containment actually means. There are three people in hazmat suits and they have basically a giant sectional kind of glass case that they construct around Overclock. Oh. They slide a bottom into it, and then one of them attaches a handle to it, and it just flips sideways and hovers off the ground about four inches. Kind of looks like something they picked up me with. Is, Might be. Is he, like, frozen, or is, does he just, like, fall on his side? Oh, he just falls over. They're not really concerned with this. Well, that's a rough ride. Point. Yeah. So, once he is contained, can Piero sort of magic Dr. Bond down? I, I think at this point also is when William is getting back up to the roof. I see. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you want to try, you can. Sure. Um, I guess let's use the old handy lasso and, you know, whip my hand mm-hmm. around, throw it around the doctor and kind of mm-hmm. tighten it. Yeah, again, that's fine. This is He's not putting up any kind of resistance. This is not, you know, really flexing your, your muscles at this point. Mm-hmm. Especially since the people up here have seen you do this, so they fully believe that this will work. So yeah, uh, are you just going to lower him down to the ground, or what is your... Yeah, let's just okay. lower him. Uh, so yeah, you lower him down, and as you do, yeah, you see this pretty large, muscular lady kind of wave up at you. She gives a big, cheerful smile. Goes, oh, thanks for the assist! That's really, uh, very... <clears throat> would have been a hard lane in a helicopter up there. Does he need full containment, too? I, I nod. Yes, yeah. put him in the glass tube. Okay! <laughs> and they put him in the glass kit. Was he involved, or is this a bystander? 
victim? Both? Okay. Why don't you kids come on down? We'll get you out of there. So I can I grab a hold of the Baroness and we shift our density and I take her down yeah. with me so that she does not yeah. uh, getting, getting scare off. her. That, that, that I'm being very overprotective because <laughs> I got very frightened that you might be lost. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Getting, getting off the roof is not a hard thing for any of you. We do see in a few panels after this, basically these copy agents uh, under the direction of Agent LaRange kind of shuffle you guys into vehicles and we see those vehicles head off towards the center of town. Are we each in a separate vehicle? Let's say there's two of them, so who's riding with who? I assume Darren and I are riding yeah, together. So okay. I guess it's me and William. So, yeah, Pierre and William. <laughs> in the back of a car. It's good, uh, good conversation. Good conversation. Yeah. yeah. With Solentine and the special smile. Some low-hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> so our next scene kind of enters on an office. You guys have been taken to Kobe HQ, which is a big triangular building very near the center of town. It almost looks like a pyramid. Inside, it's very comfortable, surprisingly. It's almost like just a really upscale office building. And where you are taken is a big conference room. So the four of you are in here together. And after a few minutes, Larange kind of enters and she's got a tray with cookies. Uh, there's a big jug of water and some glasses. It's basically just things to kind of keep your blood sugar up. And she has a seat and kind of, in turn, looks over and pulls a file off the tray that had the uh, water jug on it and flips through. Says, okay, sorry to keep you kids waiting. I know it's been a few minutes, but we had to take care of that situation first. That fella you guys captured uh, calls himself Overclock, and he is just a conundrum. Uh, and she puts the folder on the table. I don't suppose any of you guys have any information on this character? I've never seen anything like this one. Okay, well that's kind of a secondary concern. Don't don't worry yourself too, too much about that. Uh, mostly what I'm here for is to make sure that you guys are okay. You've just been through a very traumatic series of events, and I would like to make sure that you're all feeling okay mentally. And she looks over at Darren. We have a little bit of uh, intel from the ground that you actually used your powers on a civilian? It was only to remove him from harm. I know I have been instructed to avoid those confrontations, but it seemed like the best course of action, and he handled it very well. He should be very proud. Well, I guess um, let's move on then to, to, to the doctor. First off, Dr. Bahad is alive. He is in critical condition. We think he's in some kind of coma, but we're not really sure what's going on there. His brain activity is all over the charts. And um, at this point, she kind of looks over at the Baroness. I know that um, you... He kind of touched you a little bit, and I understand that's sort of a similar thing that happened with, with Dr. Bahat. Are you feeling okay? <clears throat> I'm better. Well, you know if you need to say anything, we can always private session as well. I just want to let you kids know, this is just a group debrief to make sure that there's no lasting effects. But if you guys need to talk to anybody, I'm all, I, my name is Olivia LaRange. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a psychologist here with Kopi, and uh, I am, my door is always open for you. I just want to let you know that. And she looks over at William. How are you feeling, buddy? Um, my name is William, not Buddy. 
and I'm fine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just a very friendly person. Well, we're not we're not quite buddies yet. I'm just saying. Well, I'd like to be your buddy. That's that's fine. Just don't just don't need to like rush into these things. That's that, all. That's I'm saying. fine, William. I won't try and press you, but um, we don't really have you in our uh, database, and we were just wondering if we could. You don't. You're not under no uh, obligation to answer any questions, but we did notice you had some. Uh, I guess demons are working for you. And we just want to make sure that's not going to be a problem going because we've seen that sort of thing before, and it tends really? to. Oh yeah. That specific thing, or very similar. Yes, similar. Interesting. Okay. Well, I tell you what. If you want to have a chat with me about that, uh, as long as you're willing to answer some questions, you know, a little a little exchange wouldn't go awry. Why don't you set up an appointment with my family secretary, and maybe we can talk those things through. And she pulls out a little notebook, and she has you, uh, if you would write that down for me. Oh, of course, no problem. Right. And then she looks over at Piero. How are you doing, honey? Thumbs up. <laughs> can you can you talk? I, I shake my head. Okay, but you can hear me okay. And I nod my head. Okay. Um, so... We'll just try and stick to yes or no questions here for, for the for the time being. We have uh, talked to... I don't... This is kind of awkward. I'm sorry with your friends here, but... Are you Mew Morris? Oh, no! Oh, my God. I guess, I guess my character nods their head. Okay. And she nods. Your parents are very worried about you. Usually when we're debriefing people from a, a, an incident like this where a giant 20-foot octopus smashes a college campus, people are worried about their livelihood or their safety, but we talked to your dad and you were really all he would uh, uh, communicate to us about. So, and I'm not here to give you any kind of direction. Uh, I'm not here to, to force you in any particular manner. But, um, your dad's very worried about you. I'm sorry, that wasn't a yes or no question, <laughs> was it? I just wanted you to know that. He, he he wants to make sure you're safe. Are you safe? I nod my head. Are you gonna contact him, or...? I shake my head. Okay. I won't pry too, too much. And she kind of sits back. Well, kids, thank you for sitting down and debriefing with me here. Is there anything that you guys need any help with? Where's Officer Darren? He's actually still at the at the uh, college campus at the moment. We're still kind of cleaning up after the clocktopus attack. Can we help with cleanup? I know we made messes. You, you kids have been through a lot today. I don't want to put more on you. Uh, obviously, we can't stop you, but I think what will be what will be best for you for you guys is to kind of go home, decompress, and we can kind of revisit this if you want in the morning even, and she passes out a couple of cards. Again, always, you know, feel free to contact me if you need anything. I am definitely on your side. And at that point, she stands up. I'm going to leave you guys to discuss with yourselves for a little bit. Feel free to help yourself. We've got gluten-free as well, if any of you have an allergy. And if you need anything, I'll just be right across the hall in my office, okay? I, I trust you guys know the way out if you just want to... You, you don't have to talk to anybody if you want to go home. I understand that, okay? And she gets up, and she walks out and closes the door. So, uh, same time tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> uh.
So, yeah, at that point, everyone is kind of going their separate ways. Is everyone just leaving, or are any of you going to take Laurent up on her offer to, like, to talk, or are you just kind of splitting at this point? I would like to mime obscene gestures at the closed door to make fun of the uh, psychologist who just okay. left. Sure. I would like to laugh at that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Sure. <laughs> so at that point, then, yes, we can just assume that everyone is kind of splitting up. We're going to start that, uh, then with William. So how are you getting home? Are you gonna call somebody, or are you just gonna, like, take public transport, god forbid? I mean, we'll do a, uh... Call an Uber. Call a Yeah, right. So you call an Uber. Um, Obviously, the higher-class Ubers. Sure, sure. Uh, luxury. For that luxury all the way. That is perfectly fine. So you're kind of in the city center, which is a very upscale sort of neighborhood, so you probably don't have very far to go to get home. So let's talk about the Infernus Estate. Is this a big sprawling like grounds, or is this like a high rise kind nope. of thing? This is at the top of the Infernus Corporation building. Top, uh, say four floors top are floor entirely floor. dedicated to our family living space. Fantastic. One of those floors is entirely clear, except for a replica of a circus top. The rest of it is high end luxury penthouse type accommodations. So when you get home. As you kind of walk in the front door, you have your mother and your father and Eric. And they're all sitting in kind of like the family uh, gathering sort of room just off of the foyer. So first off, let's talk about your mom and dad. What do they look like? They look very... The dad at least looks very much like both me and Eric. Very clean cut, very nice suit, dark hair, just an absolute like... Bruce Wayne type figure. Okay. But maybe some salt and pepper since his sons Absolutely. are all in there. Older, older sure. Gentleman. Sure. Um, and very much, just very much white aristocratic high end business type stuff. And then, how about your mom? Same thing. Not suits, mind you. <laughs> but. Okay. Uh, are you saying women can't wear suits? Yeah, uh, just that I'm trying to make this as cliche as possible. I think that, like, a lady suit would be appropriate. No, I'm going with more of a uh, fancy high-end designer dresses, that sort of thing. So, like, senator's wife kind of thing? Yes. Okay. So, as you come in, your father, who is at this point, just, again, to be as cliche as we possibly can be, mm-hmm. he's got a small glass of scotch with Obviously. a giant ice cube Perfect. in it. And he kind of swishes that around a little bit. Eventful day you had, William. Yeah? What'd you hear about it? He looks over at Eric. Well, I'd rather hear from you. He takes a sip of a scotch. Well, I accompanied my brother over to the university to do something that I was super not sure on what I was doing. Hold on right there. And he looks over at Eric. Eric, did you tell your brother the nature of your outing? And Eric says, I had assumed that he would follow my lead. And your father kind of nods and looks back at you. Continue. And due to other circumstances that were highly unexpected... Things did not go as anticipated, and due to Eric disappearing, I'm not quite sure where he went to, I was unsure of the direction I was supposed to be taking. And Eric kind of, like, scowls a little bit when you said that he disappeared and you don't know where he went. And your, your father takes another kind of a slow sip and he puts the glass back on the table and he looks at you. I'm very disappointed in both of you. Go to your rooms. I will have dinner brought around presently. 
And Eric's just sort of like looks. He gives you a look that like he is going to murder you in your bed tonight. <laughs> like, kind of like, to it. Right? Yeah. It's your normal we're brothers look. And uh, he heads off to his room, and I'm assuming you do the same, or I sigh first, but yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so very quickly, what does William's room look like? So when we mm. enter on this page and he turns on the lights, what kind of room is this? I'm going to go with his room is pretty much bare of decoration. Just very Spartan. Okay. I think he really is quite sure of what he likes and dislikes at this point, and his parents most likely are not going to let him have, uh, I don't even know what we, we're going to say, punk rock uh, apparel around, even though that's mm-hmm. what he likes to listen to. So okay. uh, it's pretty much lacking in decoration entirely. Besides the bare living necessities, it's pretty much empty. Okay. Personality, at least. Okay. And so that's where we'll kind of pause on William, because I think that's a good shot of uh, William coming into this like decadent kind of living quarters and being sent to his empty room. Let's move on to the Baroness. Okay. So you're kind of, you're at Kobe HQ, which is kind of where you live. So your actual room is not very far away. Right. So are you doing anything else before you head off to just relax for the evening, or <clears throat> what is your plan? I feel like the first place I would probably go is back to my room. So you head back to your room first. We'll get the, those couple of panels there where the Baroness enters her room. So what does your room look like? I feel like the headquarters and the Kopi Orphanage are all fairly cookie-cutter. Um, there's not a lot of stuff to hang, like, going on. I feel like mine was a, supposed to be like a, a room for multiple people, mm-hmm. and they've just taken all the furniture out so that it'll fit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you have a bear-sized bed? Um, I was kind of thinking that I just had like a, like like three or four mattresses just sort of thrown in the corner in a pile somewhere. Okay. Like, ripped up a little bit. Yeah, they're a little ripped up. <laughs> you know. I like that. And then there's like, there's a weird sort of desk mm-hmm. on one side. Like the desk looks pretty normal, but there's like sort of a chair there. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what kind of chair. Maybe it's like a bean bag or something. Oh, I like that. It's just a giant bean bag yeah, in front yeah. of it. Yeah. It's got duct tape all over it because I keep accidentally ripping it. Yeah, I mean, you can't help it. You've got bear claws. Do you have anything on the walls? Do you have, like, posters? or? I'm kind of thinking that there are, like, required Kobe posters, like Kobe propaganda posters around. They wouldn't be required, but they do exist. Well, right. So if like, you want to have those in there, you can. Things like that. There, there's probably a poster from a by my old uh, Kobe Youth Justice League team or whatever they were <laughs> called. Like the one promotional poster that we got while I was on that team is oh. probably there. It has like a little mustache drawn on Static Jock <laughs> and things of that nature. But that that's probably about it. Oh, there, there's like a little a little tiny tree. Okay. By the window that I I, I tried to. Trying to care for. Do you have like a, like a little bonsai tree? It's, yeah, I'm just thinking a little bonsai tree. Oh, that's delightful. Yeah, a little tiny bonsai tree. So I, I think at this point you kind of have come in and maybe you're fiddling <laughs> with a little bonsai tree a little bit. And there is a very um, almost like hesitant sort of knock at your door. Uh-huh. And it just kind of opens and Static Jock actually pokes his head in. And he goes, is this, is this a bad time? <sighs> what do you want, Jock? I just wanted to say that you were really cool fighting that Cloctopus and I'm sorry I wasn't more help. Thanks, Jock. (laughs) So from there, uh, we are going to move on right quick to Darren. Mm -hmm. 
So, Darren lives with Officer Darren. I live with family. Officer Darren. Where does Officer Darren live? Is Officer Darren, like Darren lives in a suburb. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, he has, like, his own house. Mm-hmm. He has his okay. own house. Tell me about Officer Darren's family. Uh, Officer Darren is divorced, but he's remarried, and his wife is lovely. Her name is Meredith, and she has two sons from a previous marriage, and they're both much younger. I think they're both about eight years old. Like. Mm-hmm eight to six years old and so they're young enough to be think i'm really really cool but our their parent uh their mom meredith is still not quite sure of like why there's a living mushroom woman in her home but she knows that i'm cared about and that i care about uh and about her family and and, and learning so she has a lot of patience with me she's just a little hesitant and her sons think i am like a cool pet kind of thing. Okay. They just think you're you're like their their cool monster roommate. Basically. Yeah, exactly. But I live in the basement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so when Darren uh, gets home, Officer Darren has not yet come back from the university. Okay. Um, so it is definitely Meredith who meets you at the door. First yes. off, how does Darren get back? Does she take like public transit? Does she... I think Kopi would have at this point a shuttle for me. Mm-hmm. I am not aware of the. F- this is this is something that my character does not know. My basement area is actually a containment unit that has been modified. <laughs> uh, that's why. I, that's the only reason why I'm even allowed outside of Kopi in the first place is because before when I was keep, keep being kept separate because I really attached strongly to Darren. I was getting pale and splotchy and showing signs of rot until they were able to provide me with a more better social environment. So they modified the basement of Officer Darren's house, and I live in the basement, which is actually a containment unit, and I do not know this. So you get home, and Meredith meets you uh, kind of at the front door, Mm -hmm. and she tells you that dinner will be ready soon, so why don't you go ahead and, you know, wash up, and could you bring the boys in from the backyard as well? Yeah, I can bring in, I can bring in boys, yes. Thank you. And she goes back over to the uh, kitchen. And I just want to ask right quick, what is she cooking? Um, she's making a meal for her own family, but I actually don't eat a lot of uh, meat substances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she just right now has a patch of moss that she just goes and like pulls out <laughs> and lays it out for me, makes it as nice as she can make it. She does know I respond pretty badly to salt. Like, isolated sodium, I don't handle super, super well. Uh, but she presents it beautifully. I know she's putting in a lot of effort to make me feel at home. Okay, so, like, for family dinners, everyone mm-hmm. kind of has their own meal. Mm-hmm. And then you have a plate of, basically, moss. Yes. That's exactly. a fun image. So, yeah, you get home, and Meredith has asked you to come kind of get, you know, the boys in and get everybody washed up. Yes. And so I yell, young ones, come inside! We are eating! And you hear back, can we have a couple of minutes? Your mother's commanded you to come inside to eat food. Okay. <laughs> so the boys kind of uh, run in, and they are just caked in mud. And they immediately run up, and I think I think they hug you. I think they're very happy to see you. Yes, I think um, so, too. And so they kind of run off to their, like, kid bathroom, which is just horrendous at all times, and the adults have a separate one. Mm-hmm. Does Darren have any kind of space like that, or does she use either the kids or the adults, or how does she get, like, kind of washed up in the evenings? I actually enjoy the presence of dirt on my body. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy the presence, makes me feel more comforting, but in the basement, I believe I will have my own station where I can rinse myself, but I do produce a lot of mucus when Mm -hmm. I have been exerting myself so i feel like i would have my own septic sewage system to process that properly and again i'm in a very contained unit everything is uh its own air system its own 
water system so that I can be, just in case something happened to me, it doesn't spread to humans. So I'm very, very isolated and contained with my own system and okay. environment. So, so we get those panels where the bo- where you yeah. get the boys in, they kind of run off to their own yeah. um, bathroom to get cleaned up, and then you kind of head down into this giant containment unit. Yes, and I have a television in a corner where I watch and try to learn about American or just world cultural events, but I have seen in a lot of John Hughes movies that uh, people that look about my age have a lot of posters on their walls, um, and I don't understand that these are music idols, so I take uh, cookbook pages and I rip them out and I smack them on the wall. <laughs> so I think those, so my walls are covered in cookbook recipes. You uh, a big Julia Child. Yeah, I have a big Julia Childs. I have a Burfeet Bourbignon. Like, I, I just have anything that looks like this looks like, right? And... Call it good. Guy Fieri. Yeah, Guy Fieri. <laughs> just Flavor Town right above my bed. <laughs> so, that is, I think that's a good place to kind of pause that. I'm sorry, Christina, yes. I was curious if this is all Kobe stuff or if there's anything from like your home planet. I came with very little okay. from my planet because it was a very fast evacuation. I did come in a pod or ship of some sort, but it I haven't seen it since I was a bit since I crash landed and I'm a I don't assume, I assume it was lost to the bog, which I might be wrong about. That's a good place to kind of pause that particular scene. Piro, so you leave Kobe HQ, or are you going to uh, take Laurent up on her? No, no way. Okay. No way. All right. You don't need any of that. <laughs> no. Okay. So, yeah. you... Fist bump. There was a fist bump. I just want to put that in the audio. Oh. All right. So... <laughs> So Piero leaves uh, the Kopi uh, HQ, and as you're exiting this giant, like, splendid, almost pyramid in the heart of this really, like, fancy uh, middle of town, where are you going? Uh, the house I am currently squatting at. Okay, where is this house? Uh, it is at the edge of Apex City, in a quieter neighbor- neighborhood that, like, most people have left. So it's in kind of like a dying neighborhood mm-hmm. towards the outskirts of the city itself. Yes. And... What condition is this house in? Oh, it's sad. It's, like, dilapidated. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no heat. There's no electricity. uh, Most of the windows are boarded up. Two floors and the stairs are... The stairs are, like, kind of broken and squeaky if they're intact. So you enter this uh, broken-down, sad, sad house. Yes. And what does Piro do? I think they go up to the second floor, uh, and they go to a small window... Bed, like one of those beds that's right under the window, kind of mm. cut out in the wall with mm. like real thin cushion, not real comfortable, mm. with like one fresh sheet over it. And they just kind of sit there for a second, I guess, contemplate what happened <laughs> in the day. So we have this really almost like grayscale kind of series of panels where Piro mm-hmm. is getting into this dark house and it's kind of on the outskirts of town. I don't imagine that they have a whole lot of access to money or. Mm means of fast no. travel or... Just walking. Do you, do you even have, like, a metro pass? Like, uh, I mean, like, if people really... If I really wanted to go fast, I could just mime something around a bunch of people. Like, I could just mime driving a car, and then I'm driving a car. Like, that, so. would, that would very much give the game away, though. Like, pretty, pretty, pretty obvious. <laughs> do you have to mime, like, a driver's license? <laughs> if I get pulled over, yeah. <laughs> so it's coming into the evening at this point, and... Your mask is itself your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So as you're kind of sitting here meditating, and correct me if I'm kind of wrong, mm-hmm. this this is 
basically something that just kind of happens if you're alone in a quiet space. Yes. So your mask takes up a position, and it actually just kind of floats into the center of the room and turns around to face you. Excellent. Well, Piro, that went horribly. I don't feel it went horribly at all. Do you not? No? Yes? Uh, double negative? <laughs> and, and you can, it's got a very blank expression, but you can almost see the, like, consternation. <laughs> Did you get what you were after, at least? No, I didn't. Oh. You know, I believe that your friends would have given you a place to stay. These are frankly unacceptable uh, habitations. The one looks like he was quite well off. I don't need... I don't need his help. Oh, I believe you do, Piro. Look at how you're getting along for yourself. There's no electricity. You've been surviving on canned goods. Frankly, it's starting to smell in here. (laughs) That's very rude. I don't appreciate that. Well, you've been very rude to me, haven't you? I thought we were partners. I thought this was going to be, uh, you and me living the high life. I didn't agree to any of this. You absolutely did. You took me. You put me on. Look, Piero, I'm sorry. We got off on the wrong foot there just now. I only have your best interests in heart. I think your friends could help you. Maybe drag you out of this dank pit in which you find yourself. Wow. Uh, Maybe you're right. I'm just saying give it a chance. Because your other option is to sit here alone in the dark. (laughs) And frankly, that's good for me too, but not in a way that's healthy for you. There's another option. Oh? I could talk to this Larange lady. I don't like her. Doesn't matter if you like her. I suppose you're correct. And I think that uh, that scene where you and your mask hovering in midair, just kind of staring at each other, I think that's a good place to end that particular scene. So from there, we move back over to William. You've been in your room for a while, and there is kind of a tapping at your door, and you hear uh, the voice outside. I'm assuming your family is well enough off to have servants. Well, of course. Sure. Uh, Or the humans or demons? I was actually going to ask. Do do you have human servants in the house? Yes. For all appearances, we are a perfectly normal billionaire family. Sure. <laughs> just your average every day. <laughs> Who is you, Do you have a favorite servant, or are they all just kind of being curious? I think that would be very much an Alfred-type character in this okay. uh, situation, whose name is most likely Bartholomew. So Bartholomew uh, sounds like might be an older gentleman. <laughs> yes. Okay. So Bartholomew taps on your door. Mr. Infernus, Beef Wellington. Oh, all I wanted was a burger. Would you like me to get you one? No, Beef Wellington will have to do. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, he opens the door and pushes a little cart in with a big silver tray uh, with with a fancy lids on it. Your father has requested your presence after dinner in his sitting room. Does that mean I'm allowed to leave my room? After dinner, yes. Alright, fine. I will try and make an appearance if my digestion allows it. I will inform Mr. Infernus of this. Thank you very much, William. Is there anything else? 
That'll be all, Barty. Thank you. Very good, sir. And he pulls the uh, the cart back out of the room, and he, you can tell he's starting to get on a bit in age. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously cooked to perfection. Uh, it's not any nothing but the best, even if you're a little bit grounded, of course. Is William going to go see his father after dinner? Yes. Yes, okay. he is. So your father's sitting room is not a place that you have been very often, because it's usually a place that he doesn't let other people in. Okay. You know that it's a pretty big, like, wood-lined room with a lot of different books, his pretty massive desk. It's very much like a businessman's drawing room. So you arrive, and the door is open a little bit, uh, so that, you know, you know that it's okay to go on in. And your dad is sitting behind his desk, and just before you go in, you can see that he is writing what looks to be some sort of a letter. Uh, what do you do? I... Knock on the door. He looks up and kind of folds the letter and then turns it over so you couldn't see what's on it. Yes, William, come on in. I head on in and flop down on whatever chair is closest to his desk. Sure. I'm, there's probably a big leather armchair very close to it. So you flop on down on that. And your father takes this letter and slides it into a drawer in the desk and then closes that and then locks that. And puts the key... On his desk. Okay. William, I've been speaking with Eric, and he tells me that you made several rude gestures and blatant displays of your abilities. I dispute that. It was only one rude gesture, not several. Eric is prone to exaggeration. I'm sorry that he didn't inform you of the nature of your visit. Son, you know about our family's arrangement, correct? I'm aware of it, yes. Let's just very quickly go back over that. We came from nothing, literally a circus family, dirty rabble, and over the last century, we have lifted ourselves to live literally above the common people of the city. You, William, while your brother did err in not giving you the information to perform your task adequately, are also at fault here. Do you know why we don't want people to know what we can do? Because summoning demons isn't necessarily uh, great for our public persona? And he kind of waves a hand. There's at least one of these so-called capes that claims to be a god and regularly incinerates half of the city. No. It's because the more people know about this, the more people think that this is something they can do themselves. We want to keep our power to ourselves. Aside from which... And he kind of um, scratches the side of his face a little bit. These things do not come without a cost. And perhaps it's time we showed you what that means. Alright, shoot. This is more of a visual lesson. And he stands up, and he goes over to uh, one of his bookshelves and pulls a book off. He's kind of careful to keep his body between you and whatever's going on over there. You know the general area, but you don't know what book. And the wall slides open. And you haven't seen this before. Come along. And he starts walking down what looks to be a fairly long hallway. A long hallway? Mm -hmm. Does this room have views of the outside? Oh, yes. Does this hallway defy that? A little bit. That is awesome. So he has kind of motioned for you to come along, and he's heading down that hallway. Okay. So as you walk down, there are pictures uh, 
large kind of oil paintings that you pass every five, ten feet. And the ones closest to the door you recognize, they're your parents, it's your mother on one side and your father on the other side, and then you recognize your grandparents pass that, and then like dimly your great-grandparents pass that. And eventually you come to what is a almost, it's a room at the end of this hallway that is set up almost like a shrine. Okay. And there is one just massive portrait on the wall. And it's a guy that kind of vaguely bears your features. Maybe your dad's age or a little bit older. He's got those kind of like wing tips, and he's got this giant bushy mustache. And he's wearing a vest and a brightly colored bow tie. Your great-great-grandfather, Balthazar Infernus. I don't mean that figuratively, William. That's literally him on the wall there. Wait, what? That's his skin. Dad, that's a little dark. Our family is dark, William, and you have to understand, that's the price that we pay. Every generation, every first, when we go, that's what happens to us. That is what fuels your ability. You are literally sucking the life out of me every time you summon one of those demons. Do you understand now why I don't want you doing that willy-nilly? A little bit? And he puts his hand on your shoulder. William, I understand that I should have told you this sooner, but I, I wanted to spare you. Especially seeing as Eric is the next in line to inherit the full power. Once I'm gone, I frankly don't give a, give a rat's ass what you do with it. Your brother is... So, you're telling me that every time I summon a demon, once you're gone, I'll be killing my brother. Yes, but for the moment, you're killing me. Hmm. What a trade-off. Look, I believe you're smarter than this. I believe you're better than this. You can accomplish great things with a very small amount of power, because your real strength lies in our family's cunning not our brute force. And he is shifting your labels. He is trying to shift your superior up and your freak down. You're smarter, you're better, you don't have to be like this big demonic force. Do you accept that or do you reject it? I'm going to accept that one. Okay, so go ahead and shift your labels. And your father, for probably the first time in years, just kind of smiles at you. I'm glad that we had this talk, William. I... I would like our relationship to be slightly better. But you must understand, of my sons, don't tell your brother this, you are my favorite. That's why I'm grooming Eric to be the next in line. Dang, that's cutthroat. I'll leave you here to think on this. Knock three times when you're ready to leave. And he walks back down the hallway, and you can hear that, um, that wall of books just going to slide back into place. And I think that's the panel where we leave William is just kind of looking at this picture of uh, Balthazar and Furness. So moving on, back to Darren. Darren. You have gotten yourself ready for dinner, mm -hmm. uh, and you're upstairs. And at this point, Officer Darren has kind of come home while you were downstairs getting ready. Mm -hmm. uh, so you head back upstairs, and he's just kind of... Uh, he's in the kitchen just kind of talking with Meredith. And as you come up, uh, he turns around and kind of waves at you. It's good work out there today. Oh, thank you! And this is probably going to be sort of a shorter thing, but yeah. everyone sits down to the dinner table. Mm -hmm. Just really quickly, what does that look like? 
does uh, is it just kind of a very warm kind of like or is everyone very quiet is this I will two boys I think it would be louder a bit more chaotic mm-hmm. with uh, all of us trying to rein in a six-year-old and eight-year-old <laughs> to some degree but I do feel that Meredith have some concerns because she saw the news yeah <laughs> she's not an idiot yeah. Uh, and I think there's some concern of seeing uh, the same person who was ripping down a building or uh, turning people into goop uh, is handling her children in her home. So I think there is some cautious restraint from her. But I think Darren is, Officer Darren is a warm and hospitable and has viewed me like a daughter uh, to some extent. So I think it would be a bit warmer, just some hesitation from Meredith. Sure, sure. So so Officer Darren at this point, and you can like basically him, the boys, and you are all just kind of, whenever we get those panels, smiling, conversing, mm-hmm. doing normal dinner things. And every mm-hmm. so often you can see that Meredith looks like she's maybe a little bit troubled. Mm-hmm. It's a good sequence of panels there. Mm-hmm. Um, after dinner, the whole family kind of uh, retires in to watch a movie. Uh, I'm not going to make you <laughs> decide what the movie is, but it's definitely yes. something child-appropriate. Yes. And at the end of the night, everyone kind of splits up, and that's a very normal kind of evening for you guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, meanwhile, Piro is uh, where we left off. They are sitting in this room with their masks kind of floating in the center, and you've just had this kind of tense moment where you're like, I can go talk to Larange, and uh, the mask has told you that it doesn't like her, and you say it doesn't matter. You can tell that silence has been going on for some time. We've got a little timer up in the uh, top left corner of these panels that's like, 7 o'clock. 7.05, 7.15, 7.30, and there's just no dialogue. Oh, wow. How does this silence break eventually? I guess I probably would pick up the card mm-hmm. that Officer LaRange gave mm-hmm. to me. And being that I am a mime, I cannot call. So I guess I'm just gonna, like, you know, get a coat and just walk on over. Okay, so you're actually in kind of, at this point, like, the middle of the night, maybe walking all the way back into town. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of those panels that we have there, is a lot of silence, and then Piro looking at this card and shrugging into their coat, and probably a whole page worth of panels of just walking silently into town until you're at the base of the Kobe HQ, so you're at the, kind of the, the base of this giant pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the timer up in the corner at this point says, let's say, 12.02 a.m. It's a long walk. The doors are obviously closed. Mm-hmm. So what you gonna do? Sit there. Okay, so you're just gonna sit down in front of this... Sure. And that's where we're gonna leave Piro for the moment. So we're gonna head over back to the Baroness. So Static Jock uh, basically kind of came in and sort of said, sorry, I was a doof. Uh, you know, you were awesome against the Clocktopus. And at that point, assuming you didn't say anything back, he's probably gonna exit the room. Okay. What does the rest of the Baroness's evening kind of look like? Because I'll be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like this is a little bit of an unusual evening for the Baroness. Like, it's, this is not like the normal routine since something weird happened. I feel like after puttering around the room for a little bit, you know, clipping my tree, making sure everything's fine, I'm gonna go find... Overclock. So you would know that they brought him to the Kobe HQ. That's pretty standard protocol. I would say you probably know whereabouts that is. Yes. Are you just kind of kind of bear on down there, or...? Yes. I'm just going to sort of walk in... I'm just going to go in that direction. 
Okay. I'm just going to walk like I know where I'm going. I'm going to put on my most official little bear jacket. <laughs> you know, with the Kobe insignia on it sure. and all that, sure. all that stuff. And I'm just going to walk like I know where I'm going. So the northeast uh, corner of this pyramid is basically a containment facility. And it does go underground a bit as well. Um, but most of it is above ground. And as you get towards the containment facility, there are guards. Of course. Uh, they do have weapons. They look to be kind of like stun guns, basically. Just very high-powered stun guns. And as you approach, let's say that one of them, an Officer Jackson, you at least know. Okay. And Jackson's like, Jackie, can I help you with something? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of like try to brush it off, like just, uh, just on business. What, what kind of business? Very official business. You know, <laughs> are, are you trying to visit somebody or? Yes, I'm, I'm uh, looking in on one of the, uh, the detainees. Okay. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, and he grabs a clipboard. I'm just going to need you to sign in here. Okay. I delicately take the pencil and just scribble. <laughs> and then I think they know what your signature looks like at this yeah. point. He takes that. He goes, okay. And he puts the clipboard back on his belt. Where are we going? Uh, overclock. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he walks you through these facilities, and there are a lot of basically glass or high-density plastic cells. Most of them are empty. A few of them do have people in them, but it's past lights out, so the, the actual plastic is opaque. So you can't see into most of these. Towards the end, there is a very large kind of holding cell for recent intakes, and especially ones that they don't really know what to do with yet. And he walks you in there, and there's a really heavy door that just kind of slides shut behind that. And he goes over to a little control panel and punches in a code, and then says into a speaker, You have a visitor. And from the other side you can hear, It's about damn time! Wow. So I, I accept, I, I take it you're going to accept this? Yeah. Alright, you got ten minutes, and he pushes a button, and the window opens. Uh, not opens, but like... Yeah, it clears. Yeah, 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 clarifies. So here's what you see. On the other side of this, in a hard plastic chair, and literally nothing else in this room, is Overclock. He has no arms and no legs. He's wearing a orange prison tunic, and rather than the arms and legs you saw him with, he has what looked to be very cheap plastic prosthetics. And he kind of looks over at Johnson... He's like, if I still had functional fingers. <sighs> he looks over at you. So, you finally came here. I did. What do you want? What do you want? Oh, is this going to be one of those conversations? Come on. What, you want, you want my whole dark backstory? We've only got ten minutes here. And he looks over at uh, Officer Jackson, he looks back at you, and there's something kind of pointed in that look. I wanted to have a chat with Dr. Baha, and I mostly got that done, but before I could get the information I wanted from him, you guys burst it up onto a roof and put me in a magic net. <laughs> why did you... why... why Dr. Baha? And he holds up the uh, little cheap plastic prosthetic arm that he's got on, and he taps the chrome plate on his head. Because Baha knows who put this in me. Hmm. You don't? Or did, did he tell you? And he looks uh, over at uh, Officer Jackson again. He looks back at you. No. He said he was sorry, 
and then I think he was about to talk, and then a bear burst through the roof. <laughs> yeah, that was my sentiment exactly. I'm pacing around very bear-like the moment. <laughs> and he kind of uh, stands up and walks over towards the glass and kind of like taps it a little bit. Yeah, that's not gonna work. Look. Bahat has the answers I need, but he crashed his code. So, yeah. Can I fix him? Maybe. Can you tell me how to fix him? And he looks over at Officer Jackson, he looks back at you. That's proprietary tech. Uh, whose? Mine. Oh, well, I guess that makes sense. And you notice he's kind of like staring at Jackson a lot. So one thing we're going to do right now, because you are having a conversation with Overclock and you're kind of trying to get information out of him, this seems like you're trying to pierce the mask. Yes. So go ahead and roll that. Roll that mundane. Yeah, I'm so good at mundane. You are bear. <laughs> Ten minus two is eight. All right, so that's partial success. Uh, so you've got the list of things that you can ask. Why don't you go ahead and... So many good things. <laughs> ask one. Yep. Mm. What do you want me to do? What he wants you to do in this particular moment is get rid of Jackson. Okay, that's kind of what I assumed. Yeah. I'm gonna sort of shuffle over to Jackson and ask if I could just have just, just like a couple minutes alone. That's that's really against protocol, Jackie. I'm not supposed to leave you alone with the prisoners. I don't tell anyone. There are cameras in here. Oh god. I'm gonna whisper, I'm really sorry to Jackson and sort of clock him in the head so he kind of passes out, like, very gently. It's a gentle concussion. A soft okay. concussion. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you knock him in the head and overclock goes, Whoa! That is not what I was expecting you to... Good job. I mean, I'm not a big fan of narcs myself, but, uh... Alright, so we've probably got three minutes before the security arrives. Yeah, and so he, be quick. And he closes his eyes, and you can see uh, when he opens them, they're flashing orange, and then they solidify into a green. You get a brief twinge in the back of your head, and the cameras explode. I'm on your Wi-Fi. Oh, that's nice. That's weird. Oh, that's weird. Okay, alright. Uh, two and a half minutes. Ask your questions. How can I, how can I save bot? So, Bahat crashed his code. That's something he did to himself. The way my overclock works, you have to have tech in you. If I had touched your mushroom friend, nothing. That guard, nothing. You? I'm surprised you burned that out really. Like, Bahat, normally it lasts for a while, and he crashed his own code because he refused to do something that I had told him to. Um, he's got himself in a feedback loop. And really what you need to do is cut that signal. Now, problem is, my signal, pretty good. But here's what I'm willing to do for you, because you've been such a help to me. I've got a safe house. It's just across the river, uh, down uh, 17th Street. Big abandoned warehouse. You can't miss it. My mainframe is in there. You cut power to the mainframe, you cut the signal. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. <laughs> Minute and a half. Who are you? Overclock. Where do you come from? Alright, look, I've only got, like, what, uh, yeah, 75-ish seconds left, so here's what you need to know. Yes. 
I didn't do this to myself, but I did let it be done to myself. And frankly, the people who did it misled me quite a lot. I'm gonna pay them a visit. And you hear kind of a distant explosion through the wall. Real soon now. Also, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I just triggered Bahat's overdrive, which means his pacemaker is gonna start going crazy in about 30 minutes. There's another explosion. You probably have time to get to my safe house and cut the, uh, the mainframe. In the meantime, if you want to know where I came from, you might want to try and follow me. I don't know that you have time to do both. Yeah! But I want you to meet some friends of mine. And the back wall of his cell explodes, uh. and there are two dogs. Uh, in one, in one's left eye, there's a three-digit code, and in the other's right eye, there's a three-digit code. Tick and tuck, my clocker spaniels. And he grabs onto them, and they rocket jump up. Mm -hmm. uh, and he is basically holding onto these two dogs as they bound out through the hole in the wall. What do you do? Games by Brendan Conway. It is made of magic, dreams, and a fair amount of spandex, and seriously, I love it. Please check it out. The Baroness is played by Christina. Piero is played by Lenny. You can find her on Instagram at IncognitoTuba. William and Furness is played by Jordan. Darren is played by Nan. Find her on Instagram at Nanjutsu. Apex City is GM'd by Jeremy, who also writes the music and edits this podcast. Our album art was provided by Ash Brandt. Find them on Twitter at Cinder underscore Brandt, that is B-R-A-N-D-T, on Instagram at Brandt.ash, and on Tumblr at Kimmons. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Follow us on Twitter at ApexCityCast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.